Let's go. 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 Let's Welcome to a, uh, I guess, bonus episode of MBA University. It's later in the day uh, on Sunday, March 17th. Uh, the bracket is now officially released, and we have, <laughs> and we have gone through, um, and now we're going to uh, get into each region and break it down in one podcast so you can really focus in on these matchups and understand who to look out for, what the matchups look like, um, some potential ups, upsets, things like that. Uh, so we're starting with the number one overall seed in their region um, in the East. Like Zach uh, correctly predicted, uh, it was Duke's region. So they have the number one overall seed and will play the winner of the first, uh, first four playing game for the 16 seed. Uh, which is against two of some of my favorite teams. <laughs> the moment you've all been waiting for, the best podcast ever, kicking it off with the two best 16 seeds of all time. <laughs> um, so the, the playing game for the 16 seeds right, is North Carolina Central um, against North Dakota State. Uh, so riveting matchup here. Um, <laughs> NC Central's coming in at an 18-5 and record. Uh, they won their tournament yet again, third straight year they did it, um, despite not being <clears throat> the regular season champs uh, for the MIAC conference. <laughs> uh, I forget what that stands for <laughs> Good one. off the top of my head. <laughs> um, and they'll play against North Dakota State, who also shares an 18-15 record, um, winning their conference tournament despite being uh, the third best team in that conference, uh, the Summit Conference. Um, so this matchup, if you're going to watch the game, uh, I suggest having something else nearby uh, to, <laughs> to sort of take your attention away from it because it's going to be a slow game. Um, two teams that aren't very good, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, but... Ultimately, I, I do think uh, – I've been back and forth on this, this uh, who's going to win this game, but I think because North Carolina Central, this is their third straight year of the playing game for the 16th seed, and they're 0-2 in the first two. I think they finally get over the hump and get into the, into the, the 64 teams, but it's not going to be a pretty game. Uh, so I'm picking North Carolina Central to play Duke in, in the first game. <laughs> And when they get to Duke, it's going to be ugly. <laughs> uh, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be a 40-plus point win for Duke, I think, at, at minimum. But That's very nice. So we can rest up real nice before we have to play a real team. Just to, um, give, just to, give, you, to give everyone an idea of, so North Carolina Central, very slow tempo. Um, 
not very efficient offensively. They, they shoot it very poorly. Uh, they rely a lot, a lot on athleticism getting to the rim. Uh, but when they, um, in the games that they've lost this year, they shot the ball really bad. Uh, I told Zach, in game, back-to-back games in February, they were uh, 2 of 43 from 3. And so um, can really struggle behind the line. And once they play to Duke, they'll, they'll find out how much they can how much they can't shoot, so. But, yeah, that, uh, yeah. I think that's enough on the 16 seats there. Yeah, that's, that's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I think it's pretty straightforward. We have Duke moving forward there. Um, but we'll jump and into it. a real nail-biter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's definitely not going to be a Virginia-UMBC game. So, don't Duke fans, do not worry. Um, the 8-9 matchup. Is VCU first UCF? So what we're gonna do here, um, Zach's gonna take one team. I'm gonna take another in each matchup. We're gonna give our case for why we think that team's gonna win, uh, and then we're gonna sort of debate it and come to a consensus and have our our region picked. Um, so Zach, you want to start it off? You have the nine seed in uh, Central Florida. Yeah, I got UCF, Johnny Dawkins, and and the crew. Um, UCF had a good year this year. They kind of finally got over the hump that they probably should have gotten over a few years ago, but they put it all together with led by Aubrey Dawkins, uh, BJ Taylor and Taco Ball, seven foot six freak that apparently is actually seven foot seven and is the only person in basketball history to be listed smaller than he actually is in a media guide. Um, so they're really, they're good at getting to the free throw line. It's basically their, their main offense, um, it's mostly because Taco gets fouled almost every time he touches it. Unfortunately for them, he's the worst free throw shooter in the history of basketball, uh, shooting at, like, I think around 38% or something. Uh, that's his free throw percentage, not shooting percentage, believe that <laughs> or not. Uh, so they – I think UCF – when I think of UCF, they're more of a defensive team than they are an offensive team. Um, they can struggle to score it a little bit. I think a lot of that comes from their focus on trying to get the ball into the paint. And I think you hit on this before in one of the podcasts, but they, they really look at Taco for somewhat, honestly, for too long, most of the, most of the possessions. Um, they have really good guards, B.J. Taylor and Aubrey Dawkins. Aubrey could be a 3 and D type pro uh, wing, and B.J. Taylor, I already said, is one of the better point guards in the country. So I think those guys, when they play through them, they're a lot better. Um, so I sometimes see them improve when Taco goes to the bench because they can get out, space the floor, run the court, and just make plays with their athleticism and their ability. Um, so they're going to – I'm interested to see how they show up in this game, um, but I think it's going to be a defensive slugfest for the most part. Uh, I will say, so UCF's losses this year, um, a lot of them have come by giving up too many rebounds offensively. Uh, they give up 17 to Missouri – and 17 to Florida Atlantic, two teams that aren't don't really have size, um, but their, their guards were the ones that had the majority of the rebounds offensively. So I think Aubrey Dawkins, instead of leaking out, um, kind of needs to help out and rebound a little bit more. He's got a lot of camera efficient in him in that. Like, he, he can defend, but sometimes doesn't finish the possession the way that it needs to be finished. Um, so in order to just... Uh, kind of round out their defense. I think their guards need to rebound a little bit better and then get out and run um, and, and focus less on Taco. Uh, um, and they've struggled against teams like Temple, Houston, Memphis, Wichita State this year. Um, and all those teams kind of have the same blueprint. They're athletic. 
smaller teams that will get out and pressure the ball, uh, be physical on the defensive end, and really cause a lot of problems. Uh, but with that being said, UCF still has plenty of ability and plenty, plenty of playmakers and, and talent to win this game. Yeah, um, so I'm going to get into BTU. Uh, what the, their brand of basketball, similar to UCF, is defense. Um, they're one of the best defensive countries or defensive, <laughs> defensive teams in the country um, by far um, forces teams into uh, tough shots, always contesting uh, and love to turn teams over. Uh, one of the best in the country doing that. Uh, and they really run people off the three point line or force you into a tough three. Uh, they're going to make you put it on the floor and beat you that way. Um, so that's why I think VCU is very, um, capable of winning this game, the reason they're the eight seed uh, after losing in the first round of their conference tournament. Um, I think they have a ton of talent defensively. And, I mean, offensively they're not great. Uh, they don't tend to take care of the ball a little bit because I think they speed themselves up. Um, when, they get, when they turn teams over, they kind of speed themselves up and turn the ball over themselves. Uh, but... They're just a team full of athletic wings. Uh, not much size on their set, on their team. Marcus Santos Silva is, I guess you would call him their center. He's uh, 6'7", 250. He's a, he's a big guy, uh, but not much height. And that's really him and uh, Corey Douglas are really the only size that they have. And, and Sean Mobley that, that plays significant minutes, but... Um, they like to get up and down, really get into your into your shorts and, and defend, and they want to hold you under 50 points and try to break that 50-point mark on offense. So um, for me, I just think if they're able to defend um, and, and limit B.J. Taylor uh, and get into the rim or getting hot, I, I think they can win this game. Yeah, so, I mean, this matchup for me, um, you have Marcus Evans on VCU, who's their best player, and then you have B.J. Taylor on UCF, who, in my opinion, is their best player. So two guards that I think will pretty much cancel each other out. Um, VCU, like you said, is going to try to speed up UCF, and UCF is going to try to control the tempo, slow the game down, and uh, basically just make VCU utilize shot clock and possession. And on the other end, UCF is going to try to move the ball around and find the best shot. Um I think the biggest difference in this game is going to be the size factor just because VCU, as it is, is a pretty bad defensive rebounding team. Uh, UCF isn't a great, as good as an offensive rebounding team as they should be, um, but I think knowing that they have this massive size advantage and uh, just that, like, Aubrey Dawkins is a really big guard. They have Colin Smith's big. Uh, Taco's obviously massive, so... I think just knowing that they're going to win this game by controlling the glass will make them focus more on crashing the offensive boards. Uh, so I lean towards UCF in this game. I think VCU is really good and really competitive and have plenty of chances to, to ruin UCF's chances in this game. I just think B.J. Taylor, being the veteran that he is, will be able to control tempo and, and handle the VCU havoc-type pressure, and uh, UCF will control the glass and get the win. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue UCF winning this game. Uh, I think the X factor comes down to Colin Smith. I know Taco Fall is going to be huge, um, but I think VCU can run him out of the gym, and so I think that's what they're going to try to do. But Colin Smith is 
extremely athletic, 6'11", can really move uh, and keep up with these guys. And he has that size and athleticism to, to kill them on the glass. So if he's able to get to 12 to 14 rebounds and, and really dominate the glass, uh, I think it's going to be tough for VCU to win this game. So for me, I think if it comes down to Colin Smith, uh, I'm taking UCF. Um, and, and I think uh, an important note to point out is VCU, this is their first time in the tournament since uh, in two years. Um, it's a new coach, uh, a lot of new faces, uh, got a lot of young guys out there. They only have one senior on the team. So uh, basically a brand new team to to a big stage, and, and it kind of showed in their conference tournament losing to Rhode Island, the team that they um, split with during the regular season, um, but someone that they're much better than. Uh, when they played Rhode Island at home, they won – uh, by nearly 40 points. So I think once they get on the big stage, it kind of uh, it shocks them. So uh, I'm taking a, a veteran team in UCF um, over VCU as well. So I think that's our consensus pick for um, that matchup there. Uh, yeah, so that would give us Duke and UCF matched up in the round of 32. Uh, so the next matchup we have is what Mississippi State Liberty, right? Yep, so um, why don't you get started with the, since you have Mississippi State, you'll take the higher seed and they'll go first. All right, so Mississippi State, um, we, we hit on them before, I think pretty recently in the SEC podcast, but they're uh, a, they're pretty much a perimeter-oriented type team. They're very focused on three-point line. They shoot the ball pretty well from the three-point line. Um, 37.8% is the team, which is pretty solid. I'm not going to find too many teams that are a lot better than that. Uh, they they actually, surprisingly to me, the step jumped off the page was offensive rebounding. Um, they rebound about 35% of their misses, which is actually top 20 in the in college. Um, I, I think you can probably chalk it up to a lot of long rebounds, but still that's pretty impressive for a relatively undersized team. Um, unfortunately, they... They do turn the ball over. They're really not. They don't take care of the ball. They don't value possessions as much as they probably need to to be uh, super successful. Um, but yeah, very offensive-oriented team. Um, on defense, they don't guard three-point line at all. You might as well take away the three-point line. Um, they give up a ton of threes and just pretty much let you have whatever you want at the three-point line. Uh, and then. Pretty much a trend that I recognize with them is that they struggle against physical teams, especially teams that are big and can rebound, like LSU, teams like that, Auburn, or not Auburn, sorry, Tennessee, Kentucky, um, just big bodies in the paint. If you have that, they're going to have a hard time. Uh, but they do, do always play close games, it feels like. Um, I mean, a lot of their losses are by five, six, like two-possession, three-possession type games uh, where they stay in it for a long time. So that especially in March, just gives them a chance to hang around and make plays late and try to sneak one out every now and again. Um, I will, last thing I will say about Mississippi State is I think a five seed for Mississippi State is one of the bigger mistakes the committee made this year. I think the committee, honestly, I, I have almost no, I have no complaints about who made the tournament, um, but I have a couple seed complaints and Mississippi State is one of them. I think a five seed, their resume doesn't deserve that, um, especially when you have a team like Cincinnati's 
something at the seven line after just winning the American Athletic and beating Houston pretty handily today. So uh, that, to me, is just a, an overvalued Mississippi State team that very offense-oriented, very three-point-oriented, and I don't really like that recipe in March. Well, despite the committee, I think, missing on the seeding, like you said, um, they rewarded them with one of the best 12 seeds or at least yeah. a 12 seed that matches up perfectly, I think, for them. Um, so Liberty, they're a team that slows it down. Um, they're one of the slowest-paced teams in the country. Uh-huh. They're averaging about 62 possessions a game. Um, and to put that in perspective, they're ranked 349th um, in the country out of, I think, what, 354 or something like that? Um, I think 353, yeah. So really bottom five on tempo in the entire Division One country. Um, so they're, I mean, their possession lengths are 20 seconds, so you're going to have to defend for a long time. Um, and what they do is move the ball around, drive and kick, um, and they're going to take good shots. They're one of the best. They're 12th in effective field goal percentage. So, again, effective field goal percentage takes into account that Three-pointers count for more. Um, so one of the best at knocking down threes at a good rate. They're hitting 37% of their threes as a team. Um, and they're just a good overall shooting team. 78 from the free throw line um, and nearly 60% from the field. So uh, going to move the ball around, really control tempo, slow it down, um, and take the best shot. So um, they're sort of led by two guys for the most part, um, Caleb, Caleb Holmesley and Scotty James, two sort of wings that are um, decent shooters from three, uh, but they, they do a lot of their damage inside um, uh, inside the paint. Scotty James is shooting 71% from the field, uh, so he, or inside two-point land, so he's very effective, um, and I think that's something Mississippi State will struggle with. Um, and then Caleb Holmesley threw it out as an overall game where he can take it out to three. Um, he can drive, he can kick, he can create for others, um, and, and takes care of the ball. So those two guys sort of lead Liberty. Lavelle Cabell, Cabill, I believe is how you say his last name. Um, he's a senior point guard that um, doesn't take a ton of shots, but um, helps run the offense and control that tempo. And then they got just a bunch of guys coming off the bench. I mean, they got nine guys that play, um, nine to ten guys that are playing minutes, so um, they won't be tired. They'll always be fresh. And they defend pretty well. So I think Liberty is um, one of the best 12 seeds in the, in the tournament um, and got a good draw with Mississippi State. Um, so who are you leaning towards with this? Uh, yeah, I like Liberty a lot, too. I think Holmesley's really good. I watched the, their game against Lipscomb in the uh, conference championship game, and he was really impressive. He controlled a lot of that game, made a lot of plays down the stretch to seal the deal for them. Um, they're coached by Richie McKay, who was an assistant under Tony Bennett at Virginia, and, I mean, he has literally just instituted that Virginia defensive scheme and, and a little bit of the offense, too. Um, and Liberty's very, uh, like, like style-wise uh, similar to Virginia. And I think that's just a bad match matchup for Mississippi State, like you said. Uh, um, I think this is going to be a really close game. I think Mississippi State has, like, the Weatherspoon brothers and Lamar Peters. 
um, aren't going to go away easy. I think they're going to, this is like a 40 minute battle uh, or kind of like whoever can make the last, the last play might win. Um, but I, I think Liberty is going to get this one done. I don't trust Mississippi state really at all. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what Mississippi state team shows up. Uh, Cause they hit through the middle of the season. They kind of struggled, um, picked it up a little bit towards the end. Uh, but the, the inconsistencies between um, the Witherspoon, Witherspoon brothers and Lamar Stevens, uh, they kind of get frustrated and uh, don't necessarily play well all the time. And uh, I think that can really hurt them with Liberty. Um, who had those, who have Holmesley and Scotty James that control a lot of it. But um, like I said, they have a ton of guys that play um, and contribute. It's not like they're just out there to, Take, a, take some minutes. Um, they're out there contributing uh, and a lot of good shooters on that floor uh, for them. So, And they, they really buy into that defensive scheme, that pack line, just keep people in front, whatever it takes, just force them into tough shots. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think Liberty wins this one in a really, really close one. Um, wouldn't be surprised if it was like a Loyola-Chicago game from last tournament. So um, I think Liberty wins this one. So that, Next. so that would be our first upset of the of the tournament. Um, Took us a whole what? Well, UCF's an upset, right? Uh, I don't, I don't consider nine ten or nine eight <laughs> upsets. Believe it or not, nine, nine seed beats an eight seed exactly fifty percent of the time. What's that? Uh, a nine seed beats an eight seed exactly fifty percent of the time. Oh yeah, I did see that, and it's. Like continued for the past few years now, like fifty. Yeah, it's very consistent. Um, so yeah, I, I don't consider that an upset. But so that moves us on to um, the next matchup: Virginia Tech first. Um, a little bit of surprise team, uh, a bid stealer, you could say, is uh, St. Louis, um, coming out of the. Now I'm blanking on the Atlantic team. Ten. There it is. Atlantic Atlantic. Ten. Yeah. Um, St. Louis is looking good. I mean, they um, played some tough teams and um, beat some really good teams there through the conference tournament to win it. So um, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, get away from my team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But go ahead. You can start with them. All right. So um, St. Louis is really bad on offense. That's the first thing I need to get off my chest. They have – all right, so – as we said, there's 350, I think 353. There might be 352 teams in college basketball. Regardless, St. Louis is either the worst or second worst at shooting free throws. As a team, they shoot 59.8%. I've never thought ever a team would shoot under 60% from the free throw line, but they shocked me and did it. So, um, yeah, just a really bad team. Obviously, it's not just free throws. That continues with their three-point percentage, which is 30.8 as a team, again, in, in the bottom, like, one percent of uh, college basketball teams um two point percentage is only 47.1 percent so seriously they truly truly struggle at shooting um i kind of this is somewhat jokingly but also it might be serious they rebound offensively uh 36 percent of their misses i don't know if that's just because they miss so many of them that they get more chances to get them (laughs) or they just are actually that good at awesome at offensive rebounding um but yeah, I, I'm going to lean towards there's just more opportunities. Um, they do have a lot of 
really strong physical athletic guards. Like this team is basically a bunch of identical body type players, like the six three to six six range that just get out and want to run and want to attack and want to defend and just make things tough. Um, so offensively, that's really not their strong suit, obviously. But defensively, on the other hand, they're a very good defensive team. Pretty pretty consistent across the board. They defend three-point line really well, um, which is important for this matchup against Virginia Tech. Uh, only give up 31% to opposing teams from the three-point line. Um, but, yeah, it's I mean, literally across the board, they're good defensively. They rebound well. They defend two twos and threes well. Get a decent amount of blocks. Good amount of steals. Um, they also have the defensive player of the year from the Atlantic 10 and Javon Bess, as I think I said earlier today. I can't remember. Um, but they also have Dion Wiley from Maryland. I just had to get that one in there. He transferred this year. His graduate transfer. Um, made a huge shot today down the stretch, too, so that's great. <laughs> Maryland loses the first game in the Big Ten tournament. But, uh, yeah, this, this St. Louis team is literally just going to rebound, defend, um, kind of muck up the play. Uh, they do play mostly zone. Um, so, a lot of long possessions for other teams, as we've seen many times in college basketball when you play zone. Uh, teams have a little bit of, har- of a harder time than they probably should at, at moving the ball around and getting good shots. Um, so, they slow the slow the play down, uh, kind of make it tough, and just want to bother you as much as possible. Um, and I think that style is good to face Virginia Tech, uh, but... I don't know that they're going to have enough offense to even compete with Virginia Tech. Yeah, so I think it's, I for me, I think it's a good matchup for Virginia Tech because it's going to be like Virginia Tech playing in practice because they love to slow it down. Uh, they're going to have long possessions. They're going to try to get a good shot. Um, the shot's likely going to be come, come from behind the three-point line. Uh, which they're shooting really well, uh, especially um, since Justin Robinson is back for the tournament. Um, that's a huge gain for them. I think they were 7-5 um, and five without him. So if you take away um, those five losses, um, this is a two seed, um, or at least they win, win some of those five games. This is a totally different team. So with him back in the lineup with Nikhil Alexander Walker in the back in the backcourt, um, that's going to be tough for St. Louis. I think with limited possessions, um, uh, a pro style backcourt um, playing against you, I think they're going to outscore St. Louis pretty easily. Um, and if St. Louis can't keep up with them, um, it may turn into a blowout. So I think with Virginia Tech being able to to control tempo. Um, handle the zone uh, because they play zone themselves uh, and really shoot the ball well um, and then defend St. Louis. But like you said, as a, a poor offense, I think Virginia Tech wins this pretty easily. Yeah, I got Virginia Tech too. Um, I think it's interesting that St. Louis is one of the better three-point defensive teams and Virginia Tech is one of the best three-point shooting teams. Um, but adding Justin Robinson to an already loaded team in terms of scoring ability is is huge for them and they're also really good uh, I don't want to say really good but they're a very good defensive team that doesn't get as much credit as they deserve uh, Virginia Tech I mean so I think just the fact that 
they're going to defend well is just more than St. Louis needs and can even handle at that that point. So uh, I think Virginia Tech can win that one pretty easily. Yeah, I think it's going to be like uh, anywhere from like a ten to to fifteen point win for Virginia Tech. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it's like thirty to twenty seven at half. Um, it's a close game. St. Louis is leading for most of the first half, but uh, Virginia Tech once just Robinson gets his legs, uh, I think uh, Virginia Tech Virginia Tech takes away and takes off in the second half uh, because of their ability to defend and and knock down shots. Um, yeah, so that that moves them on um, to play against Liberty in our bracket here. So we'll move on to. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the other? playing game Belmont first Temple oh yeah so we have um, one of the first four games here uh, Belmont Temple a matchup of 11 seeds two deserving teams to make this tournament um, uh, pretty like, somewhat different play styles um, Temple was more defensive oriented uh, they don't really, I mean not really they like split a 50-50 sometimes they play good defense sometimes they just focus on offense but in terms of the team overall, they're a better defensive team than they are offensive. Um, and, Bel- and Belmont's definitely an offensive team. They can really score it. Their effective field goal percentage is 57.8, which is third in the NCAA. Um, and most of that comes from the two-point from inside the arc. They're pretty pretty efficient from two. Um, obviously, if you haven't heard, Dylan, Wind- Dylan Windler is, one of their, is the best player on their team and one of the better uh, mid-major players in the country. Um, just an absolute offensive wizard at 6'8 lefty stretch the court uh, kind of like a stretch four he's just able to able to play off the um, block a little bit and has decent back to the basket game but really more comfortable stepping out and knocking down jump shots and kind of getting to his pull-up game and stuff like that they also uh, lost to Murray State in the in the championship game of their conference tournament but they didn't have um, their their big center Nick Musinski uh, 6'11 athletic can handle it can pass can shoot can score or has some really dominant games this year um freshman too so that that duo right there is is what belmont is um we've talked about temple before as well but really guard oriented which is all and quentin rose a uh, little bit Deon, devondre perry too but uh shiz alston really carried this team the last like month of the season to get them to where they are right now um so i think it's it's going to be interesting because Belmont obviously plays through the bigs and uh, it's going to they're going to play a lot faster. They I made a note they kind of play this how the Suns used to play just get the ball off the court and take the first best shot you can find. Um, and and Temple is going to kind of try to control the pace a little bit more, um, slow it down a little bit. So it's contrasting play styles, but. Um, overall, I think Belmont's just a better team. Nothing against Temple. I think Temple's a really deserving team to be in the tournament. I think they're good enough to win a game in the tournament. Uh, I think they just ran into a buzz on Belmont, who's going to be very excited that they're in this field uh, and ready to make some noise. Um, so I have Belmont beating Temple, and I think a pretty competitive, close, like two-possession type game. Yeah, I think I like both those teams a lot. Uh, and I think Dylan Windler is not just a – one of the best mid-major guys, but one of the best guys in the country in general. He's got a ton of talent. He's going to be in the NBA. Um, and I think he helps carry them past Temple. And if he's if they're able to control the Temple of the game and the way they want to play, uh, it's going to be tough for Temple to keep up. 
and a lot of times with first the first games of the tournament, everyone's excited to be there and you know, just can't help but play fast, and that plays into Belmont's hands. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Belmont wins that one. Yeah, so that would put Belmont in as the 11 seed against Maryland, who's the 6. So you want to give a quick breakdown of my favorite team ever? <laughs> yeah, I knew you, you were heartbroken when I told you I was going to cover Maryland. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Maryland uh, is a three-headed monster um, with Bruno, um, Jalen Smith, and Anthony Cowan. Um, Sometimes we forget to put some of the heads on the bus, though. That's where the problems. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, that, that trio right there is really good. Um, a trio in college that um, should be a part of a, like a 28-6 and six team rather than a 22-10. and 10. Um, Some of that's attributed to coaching. We've mentioned plenty of times before. Uh, but I think Maryland has the talent. Uh, so those three start along with Daryl Marcel, who's just very athletic, um, loves to defend, can knock down open jumpers, uh, not at a great rate, but uh, has that capability. Uh, and then Eric Ayala is another playmaker, someone who can take some pressure off Anthony Callen. And then with Aaron Wiggins and Sorrell Smith coming off the bench, um, that's sort of their rotation. But they have a lot of talent there, um, a lot of size. Jalen Smith, Bruno Fernando, both at 6'10", can really move. Uh, they're both developing jumpers a little bit as the season goes along uh, and can really rebound the ball. Uh, their problem sort of runs into defensively. They play good defense, but rarely turn teams over. Uh, they, they just force teams into tough shots. Uh, and if teams are shooting the ball well, uh, no matter how good of defense you play, and if they're hitting jump shots, there's not much you can do if you're not turning them over. Uh, so I think that's their sort of big Achilles heel is just sort of sitting back and letting them take take jumpers um, and not really force the issue of trying to get steals or, or force them into traps or um, things that their offense isn't comfortable with. I think they're pretty relaxed with letting them take outside shots. Yeah, and, and Belmont doesn't turn it over as it is. Um, only 15% of the time, which is top 20 in the country. Uh, so Maryland's really not going to turn over Belmont. Um, but luckily for Maryland, Belmont doesn't turn people over either. So Maryland won't turn it over 25 times like they did against Illinois. Um, but uh, so personally, I I kind of compared, when I looked at this game, I kind of compared Belmont um, with specifically Dylan Windler. I compared him to Iggy Brezdinkis kind of from Michigan. I think they play a similar style. Um, I think Dylan Hunter shot a lot more and is better than Higgy. Um, but the way that they they flow in the offense and the way that where they score from and everything, I think is similar. And Higgy pretty much had his way with Maryland twice this year. Um, was I think he he had 13 in one game, but was the second leading scorer, and then had 19 in their most recent game, so averaging 16 a game against Maryland. Uh, and kind of it was kind of an easy 16 a game, like he kind of got whatever he wanted. I think Maryland has a tendency to have struggled to defend the three-point line. I know the numbers don't back that up, but just from like my personal experience watching their games, I feel like I feel like the best shooters on the other teams get too many open looks. Um, and it's 
a lot of teams struggle to shoot at Xfinity Center because the Under Armour balls supposedly are significantly different than other basketballs. Way different. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that that's a lot of the problem. But um, I, I just think Belmont is a better team. I think they're better coached. I think they have more uh, – I think they know who they are more than Maryland does. I think Maryland, when they get in close games and they get in pressure situations down the stretch, they still are trying to all figure it out. Um, Bruno is – been on and off recently the last month or so Jalen Smith's taken a little bit of a step forward uh Anthony's been pretty good the last few games but Maryland hasn't won a postseason game in three years that includes the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament uh and I mean there's like people are arguing that Tom Izzo should be fired because he hasn't made the Sweet 16 in two straight years possibly could be three now like I'll trade you in a minute um but (laughs) I just think I think Dylan Windler is going to have a huge game here. I think Belmont, Belmont when they've lost, their guards have turned the ball over a decent amount. Um, I don't think Anthony Cowan plays great defense and pressures the ball. I'm very surprised he doesn't turn people over more than he does. But I think Belmont's going to be able to play through Dylan Windler and because Jalen Smith's going to be covering him. And I, I think I like Jalen a lot, but I don't think he's going to be able to cover Dylan. And I think Dylan's going to have a huge game and Belmont's going to win by a couple possessions just because they are uh i think more ready for this moment than maryland yeah and a thing to keep in mind with this is whether it's belmont or temple they're coming off of a win uh and have sort of settled the nerves a little bit right they got that first game out of the way those jitters are gone they're comfortable now or at least more comfortable uh and i think that's a huge advantage uh and that's the reason why since we since NCA has incorporated a play-in game. Um, why one team has at least made has at least one one game correct um, after the play-in yeah. game. Uh, yep. so, so there's a reason for that. You, you get on this big stage and you, you get nerves, um, and if you're able to play it out and get to the next round, uh, and all expectations are gone. So, um, I think I think Belmont does win this game. But I, I'm obviously it wouldn't be surprising if Maryland won through the sixth seed. But um, I think it comes down to Daryl Morsell if he's able to switch on to Windler and really shut him down the way he's been able to shut down some of the Big Ten uh, wings like Jordan Poole, um, guys like that. So uh, I'm just worried because since um, February or January 18th. Um, Maryland's been or their record six and seven, uh, so not not playing their best basketball right now. Uh, and it's you can't necessarily point to one one glaring issue that you can just solve with a film session or something. Uh, so I I think just Belmont has a more complete team right now that's playing together uh, and definitely has a better coach. So uh, with the momentum, my IAC. Belmont winning this game as well. Yeah, and you have, so, like Michael just said, but one 11 seed who came out of the first four has won a, at least one game in the NCAA tournament every single year. Um, and the other option is Buffalo against Arizona State or St. John's, and I just think Buffalo's better than both those teams. So I feel like this has to be the option for the upset. Yeah, no, it's just, it's a perfect storm. Uh, both Belmont and Temple were kind of expecting to be out, I felt like. Uh, And now that they're both in, 
Uh, they're pretty amped about it, ready to go. Um, and, and, and by the time the Maryland plays again, um, it'll be the 21st, I believe, Thursday. It's the 21st, right? Yep, 21st. Or, yeah, I think it is the 21st. Should be. Uh, yeah, it is. So, um, so they have played, by the time that game starts, they would have played two games in the last two weeks. Uh, so I think the worst case scenario for Maryland is having rust and being under pressure and young in a new situation, like the NCAA tournament. And um, not so playing well good. going into it. Yeah, yeah, that too. Coming off a terrible loss to Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just all the makings for an upset there. Um, mm-hmm. So that moves us on to um, the next the three fourteen uh, matchup between LSU and Yale. Uh, so we've touched on LSU quite a bit this year. Um, not haven't said much about Yale, but let's get into LSU first. Yeah, I'll make this pretty quick. So LSU's pre- offense is predicated on offensive rebounding and Tremont Waters and uh, Javante's marketing downhill and attacking the hoop. Um, pretty much. If something, if the initial action off their whatever play they're running doesn't work, the ball is going to find one of those those two guys' hands, and they're going to spread the floor and attack straight downhill. Um, they miss the layup, doesn't matter because Nas Reed and Cavell Bigby Williams and Mays and whoever the heck else is in there that's massive is going to get the ball uh, and find a way to finish. They also have utilized Nas Reed and Trey Waters in a nice little pick and pop action uh, down the stretch. And the SEC, which has really killed some teams. Um, Nas Reed was on fire against Florida in this pick-and-pop action and just was amazing in that game. But, um, yeah, they have really good guard play with, with Smart and, and Waters. They have a guy in Mays that can knock down uh, jump shots. They have bigs that defend, that rebound, that block shots. Uh, really athletic, quick on their feet. That's not a dangerous combination. Um, the one thing I think sticks out to me is that they – are a pretty bad three-point shooting team. They shoot 32% on the year, which is pretty low for a college basketball team. Um, but like I said, sometimes their best offense is a missed shot, so it doesn't kill them too bad. But uh, one thing I did want to point out, I noticed through their losses that Trey has has definitely not had his best game in their losses. Um, and generally, for the most part, like the majority of their losses have come – when Trey's been guarded by a big guard, so I mean like a 6'2", six, 6'3", six, or bigger, but athletic and strong guard. Uh, so guys like Andrew Nebhard, uh, for, uh, for, Forrest, sorry, from Florida State, and Robinson from... TCU? Uh, or, yeah. No, not that one. Oh. Who the heck am I thinking? Oh, you're LSU, or SEC you're talking about? Oh, Houston, sorry. No, yeah, but it was their non-conference game. Oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, they, they've really struggled. He's struggled when he's been guarded by those guys, specifically Nebhart. He's not played too well the two times they played for, or two of the three times they played Florida and lost. Um, he's kind of, he hasn't gotten like pushed around by Nebhart, but you can tell the size definitely bothers him. Uh, the high hand, he shot one for nine from three in one of those games. He just definitely isn't at his best with, with size guarding him. So I think that's something to definitely look out for, especially against this Yale team. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Yale has overwhelming size, uh, but like Trey Phils, he's decently sized. He's probably comparable to Trey, uh, Trey Jones on Duke. Sort of that 6'2", 185, strong. He's been there a while because he's senior. Um, I think he can hang with um, 
Jeez, with the trays. Uh, tray waters. Yeah. <laughs> um, he can definitely hang with them and really make it difficult for Trey Waters to get going offensively, uh, at least scoring-wise. Um, but Yale is uh, sort of a two-guy um, show here. They have my Oni, um, who is um, a really, really good guard, um, not just for the Ivy League, but in college basketball. Um, shoots the ball from three really, really well shooting 39% from three. Um, just a very efficient shooter. Um, gets to the line and shoots a good percentage from there. Uh, so I, I think he's a very, he's a definitely a pro talent. Um, and then the other, other guard is Alex Copeland, um, who has a capability of scoring quite a bit. Um, not much of a shooter. Only really taking 66 threes in the year. Shoots it well, but prefers to put the ball on the floor um, and get into the paint and get in transition. Um, so Yale plays a very similar style to, to Maryland. Um, not saying that they don't play with any offense, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, be careful what you say about this. <laughs> uh, um, but they, they like to play in a little bit of transition, get up and go. Um, try to get easy shots, uh, but if they if they don't have anything, they'll, they'll play in a little bit of a pick and roll um, with Oni or Copeland trying to get into the paint. Um, and they do a decent job of taking care of the ball, um, but what they're, they're best at is really shooting the ball, uh, shooting 37% of the team from three uh, and, and shoot well from the free throw line as well. So um, defensively, not... I would just call them an average defensive team. They're capable or they're susceptible of giving up a lot of points. Um, as you saw, they they beat Harvard in the Ivy League championship, ninety-seven eighty-five. So it's given up quite a few points there. Um, and in their losses, they're giving up around eighty points each time. Eighty points or above. So they're a team that's not great defensively, not terrible, but. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they can handle the big bodies of Nas Reed and uh, Big B. Williams. I think this is going to be a really competitive game. Um, I, I think Yale will win, be winning for a, a lot of the game. I think LSU will sort of look over them as an Ivy League school. Um, but eventually LSU will pull away uh, and I think win by like five to seven points. Yeah, yeah LSU is a... A second half team as it is, anyways. It seems like the they have. I can't remember the number, but something ridiculous amount of comeback wins in the second half they have this year. It leads college basketball by like a massive margin, which I think is. I don't even know if that's a good thing. I think that just means LSU needs to wake up in the first half more so than like, wow, they're so good they came back. It's like, why did you get down in the first place? Um, but this game, I think, comes down to one thing, and it's the rebounding battle. Um, Yale doesn't offensive rebound the ball really well at all. LSU gives up a ton of offensive rebounds, uh, which is stunning to me that that's even possible with that size and the bodies they have in there. To not rebound defensively is crazy. Um, but then, like I said, LSU is a great offensive rebounding team, and Yale's a really good defensive rebounding team. So whoever can control the battle on the boards, I think, wins this game. Um, I think LSU will be able to do that. I think they're Yale's a good rebounding team, specifically against Ivy League teams, but... 
they that's nothing against Yale. It's just the the talent level they've played is where those numbers kind of come from. Um, and and LSU is a whole different beast. Um, I'm kind of drawing on the experience of watching Yale play Duke earlier in the year. Uh, Duke had 14 offensive rebounds and 46 overall rebounds and just dominated Yale in the glass. Um, so I think I think LSU gets it done. Like I completely agree with what you said. I think Yale's very competitive for most of the first half and hangs in late into the game. But I think LSU just has too much and pulls away by getting more second opportunities and just having a better guard in Trey Waters that can pretty much control everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think just Yale just gets overwhelmed sometimes with athleticism. Uh, you, you see that when they lost to Memphis, when they lost to Vermont, uh, and obviously when they lost to Duke, they kind of got overwhelmed on the glass, gave up some easy buckets there, um, and that's all the difference in the game. So uh, we both have LSU going forward there, uh, and then that leads us to the last two games of this region for the first round, um, Louisville versus Minnesota. So let's let's hear what your thoughts are on the Big Ten in Minnesota. All right, well, first, uh, Seth Greenberg pointed this out on ESPN earlier, but this is a all-storyline game of this tournament. I did not think of it when I first saw it, but we got Rick Pitino's son, Rich Pitino, going to coach against Louisville in the first round of NCAA tournament, which I think is incredible. Um, that's, a, that's a nice little little understory line there that's i don't know how much of an impact it has on the game but it's just interesting and, and, and funny that that worked out that way um but who do i have here minnesota so minnesota offensively is a pr- pretty bad team um they follow the lsu method where you just chuck up whatever you can find and hope one of your big guys gets it except minnesota's only guy that's going to get it is jordan murphy uh jordan murphy however you can get him the ball however you can score is the best way for minnesota to play um, you throw it to him on the box, let him score, make a move. But he's much better with just getting misses and going back up, finishing, drawing contact, getting bigs in foul trouble, going to the free throw line, that kind of thing. Um, they've really struggled when you could limit him if you double him. Maryland did a really good job against uh, Jordan Murphy, I think. They, they sent uh, length and size at him. They doubled with guards. They dug down with guards. They doubled with both bigs. They really just kept him guessing the whole game, uh, able to beat Minnesota twice and just – sent a lot of different looks at Jordan Murphy, made him think before he could just play, um, made him a reactive type player, which I think hurt his his ability in those games and big time hurt Minnesota in those games. Um, so if, I, if I'm coaching Minnesota, I'm literally putting three guys on one side, having Amir Coffee off the ball and run a pick and roll with Murphy or just post Murphy and throw it into him. If he gets double, give it back to Coffee and let him go score. Um, I don't think they have a ton besides those two guys that can – really do anything to help them out uh, offensively. On the other hand, they're uh, an average defensive team. Um, they're competitive enough defensively. They, they have enough like length and athleticism. Their wings are pretty long and athletic. Like Amir Coffey is 6'8". McBrayer is 6'5". And then they're bigs. Murphy 6'7", but Arturo is 6'10". And he's got a lot of athleticism and length, and he's a good shot blocker. Um, so, so they can cause problems defensively, but their lack of offensive ability is, is really a struggle for them uh, and finding ways to get Jordan Murphy involved because really he's not a great back-to-the-basket type player. Um, he's not like an Ethan Happ type where you can throw it to him on the block and he's going to make a play. He's more like the type of guy that has to – he can throw you with a pump pick and get you up in the air and then jump into you and score, or he can just grab the misses and go back up. But 
he manufactures his own points uh, just out of effort, really, more than his moves or anything. So um, that's Minnesota's offense is, is their downfall and the reason they've struggled quite a bit this year. But they have hit a little bit of a hot stretch the last few games, um, gotten on a, a run through the Big, Big Ten tournament with Penn, beating Penn State and Purdue, uh, both of which are good wins. Penn State was rolling, and Purdue's a good team. Beat both of them uh, and beat Purdue – just before that, too, in the season, and then got rolled by Michigan. So I'm wondering if the, the hot streak ran out or what happened. But um, I think that was the, those wins were more of a fluke than, than the true vision or version of Minnesota. Um, and I think they're really going to struggle against Louisville in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Minnesota a lot. And like you were saying, you know, Mir Coffee, Jordan Murphy, pick and roll um, is what they like to go through. They do it through the horn set. Um, where Mary Coffey's going left and they just throw Gabe Kalsher in the corner um, because he can spread the floor. Um, so that's that's really the extent to their effective offense. Um, but for Louisville, a uh, team that's been really struggling lately, uh, it's not that they've been playing bad, it's just they don't know how to finish games right now. Uh, you saw it um, against Duke. Uh, they had a 20-point lead. 23, I'm still in awe that that was even possible. Um, they were winning against Virginia, um, and, and they're just blowing these leads. Um, since January 30th, uh, they are 4-8, and eight, um, so not looking great on the way they've been playing to end the season. Uh, but personnel-wise, I mean, they're really just led by Jordan Nwara, um, an absolutely outstanding athlete. Um, player overall, overall um, shoots it well from three, can really do anything on the floor offensively. Um, doesn't really make plays for others as, as much as I would like him to do it. Um, but I think that's more of a product of who's around him than his style of play. Um, really, their, their starting lineup has very limited offense. Uh, they start Malik Williams at their center and then just surround him with three guards, Dwayne Sutton, Christian Cunningham, and Ryan McMahon. Um, really, those guys are just floor spacers. They can hit open jumpers. Um, and Christian, uh, Christian Cunningham, I mean, he's a good playmaker. He has a crazy assist rate. He's assisting on 31% of his touches, so he's um, pretty impressive in that. But um, someone that I think needs to step up a little bit more is uh, Steven Enoch. He's been playing really well, but um, he needs to be dominant in games for Louisville to make a run. Um, because, I mean, they, they don't really rebound extremely well. Um, they prevent, they, I mean, they rebound the ball well defensively, but um, with their athleticism, I think they can crash the offensive glass a little bit more. So um, Louisville's an interesting team because they play well. It's just putting two halves together um, for me. Yeah. Yeah, Enoch's uh, made out of that same mold that Zion is. He's just chiseled out of stone, it looks like. But uh, I think so. I think the key to this game is obviously the matchup between the two best players, which will be Jordan Nora and uh, Jordan Murphy, two, two Jordans, of course. Why not? Um, I think Nora's ability to step out and draw Murphy away from the hoop and then also attack off the bounce is going to be a, a big problem for Murphy. Um, and I think that... 
it's certainly possible Noir gets him in foul trouble pretty pretty early in the game and can create a situation that Minnesota just really doesn't want to be in. Um, so with that being said, I think that Louisville is just the better team here. I think this is the type of game that can go either way just because both these teams have just not put a season together really at all and backed into this tournament. Um, but overall, I just think Louisville's better team. I think they're better coached, and I think they have better players. Uh, so I think Louisville gets this one done. Yeah, and I think Enoch and Malik Williams overwhelmed Daniel Otura, and if Jordan Noir is really able to attack Jordan Murphy consistently, um, I think Minnesota's in a lot of trouble. Unless Amir Coffey is able to play up to his potential and really put in a, a full game, um, I agree. I have Louisville winning this one. So that'll bring us to our last first-round matchup with Michigan State, and I don't even know who they're playing, Bradley? Bradley, yep. Uh, so, you want me to go first to Michigan State? Or? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so Michigan State, I mean, obviously we know what they are. They're Big Ten champions. They're definitely the best team in the Big Ten, in my opinion. Um, really good offensive team. Also, very above average defensive team. They're actually top ten in defense this year. Um, i <laughs> not going to lie. I think some of that is because of how bad the Big Ten is offensively. Um, but they definitely are a very good defensive team as well. Matt McQuaid made all Big Ten defense. Um, and their bigs are super athletic and switch things, can guard a lot of different positions and very flexible out there. Um, but this team definitely goes through their offense, uh, get out and run, love transition offense. We know same Michigan State uh, teams as always run the floor as much as they can, try to get easy buckets, and if they can't, then they're going to run a high pick and roll. Uh, and if you can't guard a high pick and roll, you got no chance to beat Michigan State. Um, really, they like to just – get one of their bigs uh, running with the high pick and roll. The other one's going to be spaced in the corner. They're going to space the floor with McQuaid and Henry or Aarons or someone, another another scorer, um, and just let Cassius Winston do what he does and create and get to the rim, whatever. He he loves to dribble around in circles until you get bored of guarding them, and then he's either going to get an easy layup or kick out for a wide open three, um, which is a lot of what happened in the second half against Michigan today. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're – like always, a team of great size with a lot of depth with their bigs, um, Goins and Tillman, and now Nick Ward's back in the mix. So plenty of size. Um, they still, I think, are going to be hurt at some point by not having uh, Josh Langford. Um, he's, I think he was their best player going into the season. Uh, so to lose that and have the season Michigan State's had is, is second to none. That's incredible. I think they have the most win, the most quad one wins in Division One this year, um, and just have played a heck of a season for being very undermanned for most of the season. Um, probably Tom Izzo's best job after losing two legit NBA starters last year and getting this team to where they are now. Um, but yeah, Michigan State is is a solid two seed. They made some arguments for that one line, but didn't think they had a, think they had too many losses to get there, especially two to Indiana. Uh, but like I said, Michigan State's a high pick and roll team. It's going to utilize their bigs and they're going to run the floor. Um, they made their blueprint and they're going to stick to it. And you got to find a way to stop it. Yeah, exactly. And have we heard about Aarons? Oh, uh, he's out for the tournament. Yeah. But the, they didn't say what it was, but it actually is negative at least. So he's, he's oh, going to be really? okay. Yeah, he actually came back onto the bench and sat at the end of the bench for the rest of the game. So. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean Michigan State, they they run. They're true to who they are. They're, there's For me, there's two types of thinking as a coach. 
you're either going to scout the heck out of the other team and know exactly what they're going to do um, and stop what they do, or you're just going to continue to work on your craft and your game plan until you have it mastered and just force the other team to adjust to it. And Michigan State's definitely the latter. They're, they do what they do, and if you can't stop it, you can't. Um, but they're, they're not going to really worry about what you do. They're going to worry about perfecting what they do. Um, and with that being said, I'll keep Bradley pretty quick. Um, uh, they're not they're not necessarily a great team. Um, I think they're more of a 16 seed. Uh, they kind of got lucky through their tournament, uh, beating Loyola Chicago by two, and then Northern Iowa by three in the, in the championship. Um, they they're, they're led by two guys, Dale Brown and Elijah Childs. Uh, very different types of players. Daryl Brown's really perimeter-oriented, perimeter going to be out there shooting threes, um, where Elijah Child is getting to the rim. But um, they're pretty bad offensively, um, ranking the bottom third of offensive efficiency, and they play a really slow tempo um, and don't defend that well. So it's going to be, I think, a quick game. Uh, Michigan State will handle them pretty easily. Yeah, so we actually just covered the first two games of the NCAA tournament, uh, the first round. first game is going to be Minnesota-Louisville, and the second game is going to be Yale-LSU. So uh, that worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so do you want to go through the second, like quickly pick the rest of the bracket? or? Yeah, so we'll, we'll just go down now. So Duke will be playing um, UCF in the next round. Um, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting with UCF's size and um, just their athleticism. I want to want to see how Duke handles that. Uh, I think for Duke, it's a lot like playing Florida State, um, who they've they struggled with in the first game, but that was without Zion for the second half. Uh, Cam and RJ played a great game that game, and then this game, uh, the well, the ACC championship, the most recent game, um, Zion was pretty much and Trey Trey was incredible, and Zion played a great game, but RJ wasn't himself and camp struggled like crazy so um i think they've been able to beat a team like ucf two different ways so far uh, obviously ucf for me isn't quite to the level of florida state i think this could be a type of game that bothers duke for a little while especially if they do roll the first game against a 16 seed um but i think eventually duke will get it together and, and make a run in the second half i think duke's going to be up like two or three close game at halftime and then duke wins by 15 to 20 points yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's going to be an adjustment period to be used to seeing a guy like Taco fall out there um, alongside Colin Smith. Uh, that's a huge front court, bigger than they're used to, uh, and especially with them likely without Marquise Bolden um, having limited size there. It's going to be a little bit shocking at first, but yeah, uh, they easily pull away in the second half. Um, if Zion dunks over Taco Fall, he's got to be banned for the rest of the <laughs> I think Taco's going to foul before that happens. but <laughs> I don't know if he can reach up that high. <laughs> you just got to go on his tiptoes and he can hit the top of the backboard. <laughs> um, but that, that brings us to um, Liberty first, Virginia Tech. Uh, so very going to be another slow game. Both teams like to keep it slow. Again, very similar styles. Liberty and Virginia Tech love to shoot threes. Uh, it's really going to come down to who can shoot a little bit better. 
And I think with Justin Robinson getting a game under his belt um, going into this um, with Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I think those two uh, shoot the ball well uh, or well enough to get them past Liberty in a close game. Yeah, I think uh, Virginia Tech's going to beat Liberty as well. I think they – with if Justin Robinson's back in the way he's normally playing uh, and definitely looks healthy, I think Virginia Tech just is too much for Liberty. Uh, I think that matchup between Holmesley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker is going to be special to watch. Those two guys really can play. Um, but in the end, I think Virginia Tech just makes more shots and, and has enough to, to hang on and beat Liberty. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, and Virginia Tech's going to have to play pretty well, but I think they're good enough to pull that one out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that brings us to Belmont LSU. Um, again, this is going to be a good one because uh, I want to see um, – it's probably going to be Skylar Mays guarding Dylan Windler, uh, who Skylar Mays is basically Gerald Green, um, very athletic, um, good defender. We'll see how he can, how Windler can handle that type of athleticism because I don't think um, that conference has that much athleticism. Um, Skylar Mays is world class athlete uh, when it goes to run and jumping, and um, so I think that's going to be an interesting matchup, but. With LSU's size, it's going to be very difficult for Belmont to match up with that, um, despite their their willingness to play through the bigs. I just think Nas Reed and Big B Williams are just intimidating type of bigs that just lock tons of shots, alter a ton of shots, um, and really crash the glass. So I think LSU gets sneaks this one out. Yeah, I'm interested to see uh, how the coaches respond in this game. I want to know who who's going to kind of budge first because Wendler generally plays the four for Belmont and uh, Nas Reed generally plays the four for LSU. So I want to know if LSU is going to stick to like staying big and um, maybe guarding uh, Wendler with Mays and then just trying to stick Nas on someone else. Um, or if they go small and have just one of Bigby Williams or Nas Reed in the game and then bring in a guy like Marlon Taylor who can just, I think he would really bother um, uh, Winder with his athleticism, his length. He's got more bounce than almost anyone in the country uh, and just is a super freak in terms of athleticism. Um, so I think there's a couple different ways LSU can handle this game. I think the, it's going to be important to to coach this game and coach this team and try to figure out uh, which one's going to work best. But in the end, I think LSU just has a lot more uh, options and and more talent on the court than and Belmont's going to have. Um, and again, I stick to what I say and going with the best point guard, uh, taking Tremont Waters and LSU. Um, but LSU is a team that makes me nervous in this bracket because if if everything was the same with them, they had their coach and roster was consistent, I'd be confident with picking them almost the Elite Eight, Final Four type range. But um, with the current state, I could see them losing in the first round or going on a huge run as well. So they're a lot more volatile in this situation, but um, Talent-wise and roster-wise, they're definitely good enough to to beat a team like Belmont and find their way to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Yeah, and, and uh, for from my perspective as a coaching, um, what I would do in this scenario would put Skyler Mays on with Dylan Windler to start um, and have Nas Reed guard Michael Benkirk and really dare Benkirk to beat them. Um, he shoot Benkirk doesn't shoot poorly, um, but he also doesn't shoot the ball very much so um, if he's out there starting um, 
have uh, Nas Reed on him and sort of guard him the way Draymond's been guarded um, and just try to have that guy beat, have Ben Kirk beat LSU. Um, but moving forward to uh, Louisville, Michigan State, I think this is going to be the best matchup of the second round in this region. Um, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this is a rematch of the Big Ten ACC Challenge where uh, Louisville shocked the world and knocked off Michigan State. Um, I, I think just that fact alone is going gonna, is gonna to change Michigan State's mindset, and I think they're going to come very ready to play this game as a revenge-type game. Um, I think they're going to hear all the noise about um, Tom Izzo needs to get into the second weekend and, and everything, and um, I think that paired with the revenge game is a very good recipe for Michigan State to show up and play really well. Uh, Louisville is just too inconsistent for me. I think there's a good chance Louisville will play a great 20 minutes, and then there's a good chance they're going to get blown out in the second 20 minutes. So uh, I think Michigan State's just better, and I uh, trust trust them more in this situation, and the re- revenge factor is big for me in this game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think Michigan State's got a lot of pressure. Um, at least Tom Izzo has a lot of pressure on his shoulders uh, to really perform the way they should. Uh, and I think they're really going to go all out in this game. And I think Louisville will be able to hang in the first half. But I think Michigan State kind of wins this handily. Um, which brings us now to the Sweet 16, the games that we will be attending. Woohoo! And uh, We set up some nice matchups for ourselves here. <laughs> Yep, and we'll be reporting live. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, we should try to get media credentials and get ourselves on the court. Then, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, we run a podcast. Uh, how does that work? <laughs> um, so the Sweet 16 would be Duke, Virginia Tech, and um, LSU, Michigan State, um, sort of staying true to their ranks, um, one versus four, two versus three. Um, but Duke against Virginia Tech – is uh, to go on that theme of revenge factor. Uh, they're going to be coming back from that tough loss without Zion. Um, they they felt like they were in the game the whole time, and they just couldn't get over that hump to, to pass Virginia Tech. Um, and I think with Zion coming back, that energy, um, that size, that athleticism is going to overwhelm Virginia Tech, and Duke's going to win. Um close to double digits. Yeah, that was no Zion, no Justin Robinson for Virginia Tech. Um, Virginia Tech shot it pretty well, but I still don't think they played as good as they could have, and Duke certainly didn't play anywhere near as good as they could have. Um, like you said, every time Duke got close, Virginia Tech hit that one big shot that kind of put it back out of reach. Um, Duke got it to a point where I thought they were going to win, and then had a little bit of miscommunication on defense. Ty Outlaw has a wide open green. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the country. Goes down no problem, and the game's pretty much out of reach. Uh, I think Zion, truthfully, I think Zion himself is on a mission, um, and I think Duke is kind of coming along for the ride. Zion's got to have back injuries after that ACC tournament because I've never seen someone put a team on his back the way he did for three straight games. Um, Duke did not play anywhere near their best basketball in any of those games, and Zion just willed them to victory every time. Uh, I saw one analyst break it down today saying, uh, going through the whole bracket saying, does this team have Zion? If the answer was no, they were going to lose. Um, so I think that's pretty consistent belief among a lot of people. But uh, I think 
yeah, the revenge factor, and I think Duke is, um, I think they're susceptible to a slow start in that game. Virginia Tech's going to come out and make a lot of shots, but I think that's Sweet 16 is when you start to see teams move into the bigger arenas. Um, the games are in NBA-style arenas. It's an adjustment period for the for the shooters specifically um, where they start to struggle a little bit just with that perception and stuff like that. Uh, so that's where I tend to shy away from teams that shoot, and also I'm going with my team <laughs> picking Duke in that game. And it's a good thing Duke doesn't have any shooters, so they have to worry yeah, about we'll that. never have to worry about that because we're going to struggle anyways. <laughs> Actually, watch probably be reverse psychology. Duke will shoot like ninety nine percent three when we get to the big arenas. <laughs> All oh. we need to do is jack up our depth perception. <laughs> I think important fact to point out with this game is that uh, Virginia Tech has a pretty big presence in DC. Um, and you saw it a couple years ago when Duke played South Carolina in South Carolina, um, where it's basically a home game for the underdog. Uh, and it, when that's the case, um, the sort of average fan that's not rooting for either team tends to root for the underdog. Um, so that could be a big crowd for uh, Virginia Tech in that game. Uh, so that's just something to, to keep in mind. Uh, Two with things with that. One, I will single-handedly drown them all out. And two, <laughs> on a more serious note, um, the game before Duke played South Carolina in South Carolina, which is ridiculous for a two-seed to play at the seven-seed in their home arena, basically. That's beside the point. But the game before that was North Carolina. And obviously, with North Carolina fans in the crowd, there's no way they're rooting for Duke. Um, but yeah, like you said, Virginia Tech will have plenty of fans at that game. And uh, it's going to be a tough environment for Duke. But that being said, I think Duke has been significantly better on the road this year than they have been at home. Um, and I think they'll get the well, they won't get to wear the black uniforms anymore because they'll be the top seed in every game. But um, I think they'll ha- they'll still have that funeral mentality, which I think is when they're at their best. Yeah, no, I I just want to make sure people are aware of that that is being played in DC and the the Virginia Tech has a huge presence there. Um, a lot of- and we'll we'll be there. I don't know if you said that. Yeah, I just want to make sure. <laughs> Yeah, we just want to make sure it's reality. I'm not just dreaming it. Yeah, confirmed we will be there. Um, <laughs> so that brings us down to the bottom part of the bracket, LSU first Michigan State. Um, I'm back and forth on this game because, like you pointed out before, LSU's um, has a lot of things up in the air. Inconsistencies um, are real for them, um, whereas Michigan State is pretty consistent, at least for this year. Uh for me right now, I'm leaning towards Michigan State because I think they have plenty of bigs to compete with Nas Reed and Big B. Williams. Um, but I think the difference is Cassius Winston uh, is playing better than Trey Waters is right now. And uh, when things get tight, we always look at the point guard. Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting game. I back uh, Michigan State almost every single year in my bracket, at least to the Sweet 16 Elite 8 range. Every single year, they just crushed me um this is a situation i think if there were no allegations and no like nothing weird going on with lsu i think i would back lsu um pretty confidently but this situation that's currently going on there's just too many questions up in the air for me um i don't trust their coach after that sec debacle and i just think like you said cassius winston i think can handle if not control trey waters and michigan state's a team known for their big big so they're obviously going to be very competitive and be able to bang and hang with uh, LSU's bigs. Um, so I'm reluctantly going with Michigan State as well. 
Yeah, with Michigan State, it's, I mean, the last time they won the um, Big Ten championship, this isn't going to give you any more confidence, but um, they lost to Middle Tennessee State. Yep, figured. <laughs> and then the uh, time before that when they won the Big Ten championship, um, they won two games and then lost to Louisville. In, in the yeah, well, Sweet maybe they'll get – Maybe they'll get the Michigan stuff where Michigan won back-to-back Big Ten championships and then went to the the championship game and maybe the Elite Eight or Final Four the year before that. Yeah. Well, um, I just think this is a different year for Michigan State. They have too much riding on this. Um, They've lost too many times early. Um, They haven't had a multiple-game tournament or I guess more than two-game tournament since 2015. And I think that's uh, where it changes here. Yeah, so that will bring us to uh, our consensus bracket. will bring us to Duke and Michigan State, the one and two seeds. Lots of chalk for you here uh, in D.C. playing in the Elite Eight. Winner goes to Minnesota in the Final Four. Um, shockingly, I'm going to go with Duke in this game. Coach K has historically owned Tom Izzo in every matchup. Um, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but Coach K literally owns Tom Izzo. Um, there's no other way to put it. And I think Duke just has too much. I don't know. I think Kenny Goins would probably be tasked with guarding Zion. Uh, I think he's a great player. I think he's really, really athletic. I don't know that he can hang with Zion. Even if he can, I think RJ is going to have a big game because they're going to put McQuaid on him. And while McQuaid won all uh, all Big Ten defense, he didn't guard Zion, or he didn't guard RJ Barrett. Um, and I think Trey and Cassius can kind of cancel each other out. Uh, interested to see if, how Trey defends Cassius and that ball screen. It's going to be Duke struggled historically with ball screens, um, but a healthy Marquise Bolden and Trey Jones, I have no doubt they'll be able to handle a ball screen. Yeah, and where Michigan State struggles is when they give up live ball turnovers. Um, so live Rut ball, row. Live, yeah, live ball turnovers is any time. You turn the ball over and the ball stays in play. So something Duke is extremely good at, um, Zion specifically, is um, he's almost getting to a point where I'm getting worried that he's (laughs) trying to bait people into these passes now. He is. They're starting to learn. So I worry that Cassius Winston is a really smart point guard um, and is going to backdoor Zion all day, uh, so that's one worry of mine. But if they're able to get these live ball turnovers, um, Michigan State's in a lot of trouble because it's a ten on run real quick, um, and then all of a sudden all that momentum's gone. The wind's out of your sails. It's fighting from a complete stop. So uh, Michigan State is really got to avoid those just turnovers in general, um, and even the rebounding. Uh, they have a lot of size, but a lot of times they get complacent uh, with rebounding and don't really have that aggressiveness to go get the ball. So I think that's going to be an interesting matchup to pay attention to is how Cash Winston handles um, Duke's anticipation uh, and if the bigs can rebound against Duke. So well, I agree with you. I have Duke winning this one. I think it's also interesting both those teams – at least I expect both those teams to come off pretty pretty tough Sweet 16 games. Um, I think Michigan State more so just because I think the bodies 
balls that LSU can throw at Michigan State, which is going to wear them down a little bit more than Duke's playing a different game against Virginia Tech where they just have to defend uh, mostly the three-point line and just basically try to get a hand and contest on everything. And Michigan State's basically just going to get beat up down low for 40 minutes. Um, so I think it's going to be a little different that way. But both of them are going to be coming into the game probably a little tired, uh, playing their second set of two games in three days. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, it's, it should be a good game nonetheless. And, and you said Bolden will be back. Yeah, uh, probably not for, for the uh, 16 seed game, but they Coach K basically just held him out precautionally or for like safety reasons, just to let him chill out. Um, but it's not a bad injury; it's just a little bone bruise on his knee, uh, more so just a comfort thing. So I would guarantee he's back by the second weekend if Duke makes it. Um, I also would probably bet he'll be back in the second round. Okay, because that's really important for Duke. Uh, Duke. Especially with the ball screens against Michigan State, it'll be massive. For sure, because Javon Deloria, although he's a, a good defender, can struggle with that. Um, and he it, fouls out quicker than I can tie my shoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he struggles with that. And then um, their other backup big, blank on his name. Antonio Vrankovic. Yeah. Um, Play the game, played the nine minutes of his life against North Carolina. Oh, he, he played outstanding, but you can't, can't factor that into oh, multiple Oh, God, if you games. put him in a ball screen defense, he's going to cross over his own self. Yeah, so I, I think that's huge to get Bolden back for Duke um, because without them, I think we're having a different – without him, we're having a different conversation. Um, yeah, Zion gets all the credit for the defense, and rightfully so. Um, defense is entirely different without Zion, but the defense is, is still not what it could be without Bolden. Um, when they have Bolden, Trey Jones, and Zion all on the court together, that defense is not just top five, it might be top two. Yeah, and Zion needs to to focus a little bit more defensively. I think he's getting too used to just getting those easy steals, um, and that has been impacting his closeouts, and he's been getting attacked um, on those closeouts. And you saw... Luke may attack and go right by him pretty easily, get an and one against him late in the second half. Um, that shouldn't be happening. It's just because he's having lazy feet um, and just expecting to get a steal um, or just being more athletic and being able to cut someone off. But I think he needs to really focus in on this tournament, um, especially defensively guarding somebody, not worrying about off-ball defense, but more of getting to the ball and shutting that first dribble down. Uh, yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree anymore. But, yeah, so that, that wraps up the East. We have Duke going to the Final Four. Um, not going to be a surprise to anybody. Um, <laughs> nor is it going to be uh, a crazy pick. I think it's going to be somewhere in the 90% range that people have Duke going to the Final Four. Um, but I, I do the think... Pe- the people that won't will be the North Carolina fans that don't like Duke. Yeah. Um but I think where we sort of make our money is with that Belmont pick, um, Liberty, those type of picks to pay attention to um, because I don't think enough people are talking about those type of teams. Um, so just a little tidbit for you there. But, yeah, I think that wraps up the East. We're going to put this out, and then what region want to do next? Uh, we can just stay on the same side of the bracket and do the West with Gonzaga. Okay, so we'll we'll get that out in the next day or two. Um, 
But yeah, let us know what you think. See if we should dive a little bit more into each team or take a little bit less into the 16 seeds, whatever you want it <laughs> to hear. Not when they're so much fun like NC Central. <laughs> um, but yeah, just let us know what you think of that and we'll adjust accordingly. But um, that was East Region. Here's uh, DJ Zenas taking us out. Show up, get out on the floor. All I want to know, can we turn this thing out?